What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Jeremy here from Turn Me On Podcast, and uh, for some reason I can't figure out why, but if, if this currently, my voice right now, if it sounds like shit, um, I'm having some technical difficulties over here in the recording studio, and because I'm not a sound engineer, I can't figure it out. Um, but please uh, don't, don't uh, pay any attention to the, the shitty audio quality, because I'm not going to be here for long. Uh, I'm without Bridie. Uh, we've we've been flung back into our lives after celebrating our, our eighth wedding anniversary over on PEI, and we've been, just been so busy we haven't had a chance to sit down and actually record anything. So we're not going to have a foreplay for today, but fret not, uh, because I'm throwing it to a conversation that we had in Toronto with past Turn Me On guest and past Sick Boy guest, Dr. James Cantor. Uh, we got to sit down with him again this past trip to Toronto, and I just, I'm so grateful to know uh, him as an individual and, and to be able to have time to sit down and speak with him um, because he, he, has, he has lots to talk about. And uh, this episode, this conversation is no different. Um, buckle up. We definitely get into some controversial territory, uh, but it's, it's all stuff that I just find 
utterly fascinating. So I hope you enjoyed as much as we did. And next week, we'll be back with another normal uh, foreplay. Hopefully, I can get this sound thing figured the fuck out. Anyway, that's, uh, let, uh, I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you on the other side. Love you. Yeah, when I'm uh, when I when I have unexpected noise, I get I get very like um, I get overstimulated very easily by like even this morning we were on the I was on the phone in the car, you were playing music in the car, and I'm like I can handle that. But then you reached past me and you were like rummaging through my bag at my feet for my sunglasses, and I was like my head's gonna explode. I can't handle this. Yeah. I, I just wanted you to just stop moving, so because we were already in a moving vehicle, and yeah. I just like so. I don't know. All those background noises sometimes are a lot for me too, especially running water. Running water. Yeah. Okay. Oh. All right. You didn't yeah. find that soothing? Not over in my headphones through like in a podcast setting, but I would fall asleep to the sound of No, no, I don't like that sound falling asleep. <laughs> I mean, I like real water, but not sounds of water through my headphones. It's white white noise, I guess, for some people. Yeah, I guess, you know, what? it's I guess it's it's different for everybody. All of our, we're all different. I mean, fuck, we, you might know something about this too. I mean, to a degree, but like, I definitely have a real legitimate case of like, I think it's called misophonia. Misphonia. Mis, misphonia, misophonia. The sound of people, people chewing, chewing oh. or like, or like my dog licking. Yeah. In rage. Like oh. I, I, I boil. Like it is, and it's immediate. Huh. Like my sitting in a room with my father eating grapes, get me the fuck out of the country. <laughs> like I will, I honestly, I can't get farther enough away from it. And it's like it, it hurts the back it's of my. It's contagious, neck. though, Jeremy. You need to know that I now, by association, also get extremely tense when the dog is licking himself, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. mostly, it's not about Bigby. It's like, oh, oh no, Jeremy's gonna lose his mind. I got to do something to like <laughs> yeah. settle this environment yeah. before Jeremy loses his mind. And it's just, it's not mine. That's yours. I'm learning how to lose my mind. Uh, internally? Qu- internally, quietly, <laughs> just losing it. That, that, that's a good skill, uh, as a matter of fact. I, oh, I guess. <laughs> Are we all just walking around losing our minds internally? A, a, a friend of mine is a, 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 a just became the, a, the head of a, a large institution. And so every now and then, you know, her job is to sometimes, and she just has to get beat upon by whatever political thing or somebody from another institution. But she's the head, so she just she calls these scheduled beatings. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> you just sit and listen to how awful the other person thinks for yeah. You know, completely misinformed, but they are not listening to a word. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I like that kind of just control. Sometimes I do that in arguments with uh, with my romantic partner. I'll just sit there and I'll be like, don't think about just breaking up with this person. Don't think about just walking out of this person. Just sit there and think about, oh, but it's so satisfying to think that I could do that, but I'm not going to do that because I'm listening. Yep. I'm focusing on my partner. Yep. I'm breathing. Yeah, but no, that's that, that, the that struggle. Yeah. Meta awareness, you know, the, the kind of looking at us from the outside for a while, because you know, if we let ourselves sit in those emotions in those in that minute, we're you know going to say something we later regret. Mm-hmm. So that kind of you know, take yourself out of your head, 
you know, and play yourself like a puppet so your real thoughts are kind of above the actual situation yeah. is a great way to deal with that. Yeah, the uh, third-person view, the, the video, yeah. playing yourself like a video game, yeah. that's how I look at yeah, it. Yeah, to kind of give yourself permission to, let's postpone the feeling of the emotions until, you know, I'm not getting watched, you know, mm-hmm. and then, okay, react as I need to. <laughs> right afterwards. Yeah, right. Right. This is, so this, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but this kind of sounds like a little bit of a... Uh, the way that maybe you would be talking to some of your clients now, because you're, you, you've, so last time you were on the show, yep. you were, were you working at Cam H or you had left Cam H and uh, were? I don't remember the exact order of the dates. I uh, left almost uh, uh, May 1st a year ago. Right. I don't remember when we recorded. So it was, it was on the. You were there, I think, yeah. Right. So, so I was just quite... kind of on the way out and getting things organized. Yeah. There. And so you were, um, I mean, why don't you do it for people who didn't listen to you uh, either on Sick Boy or, or the first time that you were on Turn Me On? Uh, why don't you give a, a little introduction into the work that you used to do uh, before transitioning into the the therapy that you you're doing now? Sure. Uh, it, <laughs> it it's hard to just kind of come out and say it when somebody is embraced. It's kind of like my own introduction needs its own trigger warning. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. It's uh, now the, <laughs> the uh, I'm a uh, sex researcher now, sex therapist by by uh, training and practice. I uh, did my uh, degree in clinical psychology at uh, at Miguel. Did my PhD in neuroscience, uh, and by just sheer quirk of fate. Uh, I ended up in a place where I had the opportunity, even though I was planning on just being a regular everyday sex therapist, where I was, you know, finishing my training. They were about to do brain research uh, uh, on what causes pedophilia. Mm-hmm. Now, I was training to be a sex therapist, so being in a forensic place where they deal with, you know, really, really extreme, you know, uh, uh, sexual difficulties was a perfect place for me to train. But even though I had a background in neuroscience, I wasn't planning on using it until they just happened to need somebody with a background in brain development who also knew something about sex. Mm-hmm. Ding. By sheer fluke, I was just in the right place at the right time. Da-da-da-da. 20 years go by, you know, and I'm now, you know, the, the predominant laboratory doing brain scan and MRI, MRI research. And we did indeed successfully demonstrate uh, that pedophilia is something inborn. These people didn't ask to be attracted to what they're attracted to any more than the rest of us has to be attracted to. Which is a super controversial thing to say because a lot of people for, you know, regardless of the evidence, people just refuse to, for whatever reason, take that, you know, or at least I've I've heard, you know, we've run up against that with with feedback from like our episode on where we talked about that. People are like, fuck no. And we were like, well. Yeah, yeah. The scientist is saying, yeah. fuck yes. Yeah. You know, it, it yeah. I, I mean, I can't, I can't not even imagine the amount of blowback that you would have been receiving for, you know, 20 years of that work. Not, not what you would think, really. <laughs> the, the, there are a couple of things that, uh, uh, that are going on, uh, that are going on. Uh, one, among scientists, you know, my findings, non-controversial. Uh, sure. it, it was uh, a lot of people just kind of, you know, really thought that this was going to turn out to be the evidence sooner or later, and now we just have it, you know, on paper. Right. So I just kind of proved what a lot of people suspected all along. So it, so it was not controversial among scientists. Uh, amongst uh, actual pedophiles, same thing. They said, yeah, no, they, they had a sense. It feels like this is something they were born with and only just came to realize right. over, the, uh, over the course of, uh, of life. Uh the parts that are controversial have actually not been the science and not been the conclusion. The part that has made, uh, I would even say, a small group of people uncomfortable 
are uh, people who see themselves uh, are uh, extremists. Right. And that really and extremists have just dominated the current conversation in all of media, which now just means all of social media. Mm. People with regular everyday feelings say, oh, that interesting. That's interesting and can chit chat about it and have a rational conversation. They're not the ones tweeting the most extreme thing they can think of in the most negative or most positive words they can think of in order to get the most likes. Right. There are unhealthy people who just say shit just because they want the attention. It's an attention-getting issue. So this is what's, so. What we see on social media is really a, a gross, gross distortion of what I think we would see on any kind of a meaningful survey. Right. We only see the most extreme things, and that's not just for pedophilia. I think that's, that's for a lot of issues in society in general, especially today. Yeah, yeah. And so, and sex is naturally one of those. Right. Right. Uh, so the basic, so as I say, what, what, the Turn me on, we'll be right back after this word from our sponsors. Social media are people think that this means something other than what it does. Mm. Usually these are people who, and, you know, my heart goes out to them. Usually these are people who were victims of sexual abuse. Yes. You know, so I understand where they're coming from. And if I were an abuse victim, I probably also would have trouble, you know, keeping my emotions in, t- you know, under control in order to think rationally about an issue. So I can't really blame where they're coming from. Uh, but unfortunately, because of the emotional state that they're in, uh, it's uh, often, again, in the context, becomes very uh, uh, punitive and very vengeance-oriented, Yeah, where the information that I and the rest of the science is able to provide is really about prevention. Right. If we can figure out who these people are, prevent it from developing, get them to come in you know, while they're still dealing with the pedophilia, then we might be able to prevent a, uh, an actual case from happening. Mm. The number one lesson that uh, uh, that uh, that I always try to leave any audience with is that pedophilia is not a synonym for child molestation. I have tried to make that distinction in, yep. in a number of conversations yep. since we we chatted about it because that that just seems like a significant uh, 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 distinction to make, and I I have offered it several times, mostly to the effect of like. Okay. Anyway, and they yeah. just keep mislike yep. terming it, yeah. which which I think maybe if I took the time to explain why there's a difference <laughs> and like what like what all your research has has found out in terms of like where that develops and how it because I think just making that distinction isn't enough because people are still yeah. like, well, they still made a decision somewhere along the way that that's right. what they were attracted to. Uh, no, they didn't decide what they no, were. No, no, right, no, they no. decided saying, to act out on it because those are the ones we're aware of. Right. I'm saying the people that I'm trying to make the distinction to, that's where I'm yep. not giving them the background piece of information that like, oh, it, it's actually developed in utero. It's right. actually yeah, yeah, something yeah. that happens there. So they don't have that piece of information yeah. when I'm trying to make that dis- to help them make that distinction. And, yeah. And as I say, they're doing their best to be empathetic yeah. to victims, yeah. which I get that, yeah. you know, that's coming out of a good 100%. place. Yeah. But, you know, if we really want to prevent the victim from being a victim in the first place. Preventative. Exactly. If yeah. we want to, you know, actually help before, you know, if we want to do more than just, you know, clean up after the mess. Right. Uh, uh, another one, I, uh, another way I'd like to say it for a lot of people is the day before a pedophile acts out on his feelings. You know, he was a pedophile struggling with his attractions to children, and that's the day we failed him. Mm. 
That's the day there needed to be a self-help line. That's the day there needed to be some way for him to come in and say, Doc, I got a problem. But there are no resources for that. Everybody's afraid that they'll get reported so they don't come in. Yeah. So not only did we fail the pedophile, we also failed the person who became his victim. Right. Mm. So, right, the day before he's a child abuser, he's just a pedophile and not a child abuser. And that's where we need to focus. Yeah. But in this highly, you know, vengeful way we're thinking... Right. They're not going to come in and we can't help any of them. And we're just perpetuating a problem where where if we could just take a deep breath, we might be able to fix it. Right. Now, this was this was like 20 years of your work. So yeah, it was clue by clue pointing out the ruling out all the alternative possible explanations for what we were seeing in brain scans and so on. Uh, now we know that brain uh, brain is more plastic than it used to be. So we had to make sure that, well, maybe it wasn't the experience in jail. Maybe it wasn't their own experiences of abuse. We had to, you know, increasingly, you know, rule out all the possibilities, leaving now the only legitimate explanation for the whole body of data mm. is that this is, for lack of any better term this is a sexual orientation right Mm -hmm. they were born with this and they can't change it Mm -hmm. now i get to say that pedophilia looks like a sexual orientation this is where my play i play my openly gay card yeah right (laughs) right so people can't say oh you're just kind of playing no 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 the things that give me my civil rights are exactly the same principles that say, well, they didn't pick it either. Mm. Now, I get to, you know, my people, you know, we get to just, you know, consenting partners have a good time. It doesn't matter if we match the rest of society or not. These people essentially have to live a celibate life. Mm-hmm. Mm. No choice, zero tolerance for errors with no help from anybody. Mm-hmm. Right. It's kind of and part just growing up gay in a, you know, especially the old days, an anti-gay society. You know, I got one teaspoon of what these people must have to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I get to have a happy ending. No pun intended. You know, they, they get no right. They don't get that. And they have to do it alone. There are no support groups coming out groups. They yeah. don't get to do any of that. Yeah, that's that that really impacted me when we talked about that the the first time, because I, I had my own uh, as so many people do like my own personal you know relationship with like I'm not personally a, a victim myself but just knowing people who have you know been through that in their lives and yeah I I, I totally can be compassionate yeah. to where the victims are coming from in terms of like there has to be someone to blame there has to be someone who is like um the bad the bad guy. And of course, like that 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 that's a bridge that got crossed and that is yeah. inappropriate, but but I I just think there's so much healing available to everybody involved when we can go. All right. Yeah. And it's usually an oversimplification of the story. People just, you know, mm. good evil, my side good, your side bad, and uh there's, you know, Sticky, yucky, uncomfortable, you know, things that people don't say on social media or even to their friends. And, you know, it, it, it does get uh, – it is not as simple as people like to collapse into 280 characters. Yeah. But it did make for a fascinating, fascinating research career. And it was a genuine pleasure to be able to do something that, you know, that can uh, – with the potential to make a, uh, make a big difference in uh, uh, for so many people. Uh, But then, you know, CAMH ceased to be the hospital where I was doing the research, you know, ceased to be the kind of place where that kind of world-class biological research really was feasible anymore. So for the second half of my career, I kind of went back to plan A. Which was sex therapy. Now I'm doing relatively, I don't want to say plain vanilla, uh, but it's, you know. I mean, comparatively. (laughs) 
relative to you know the most difficult kinds of cases these are now yeah. uh, uh, and uh, clients you know people in the community people here in the GTA respond to that mm-hmm. you know when they're googling for a sex therapist you know or psychologist and see choices it's oh if this guy can deal with them then my case will be no problem yeah right so people who would otherwise you know never come into therapy before or they're afraid of getting reported or they're afraid of freaking out the therapist you know they will say oh if this cancer guy you know got the pedophiles he'll be fine with me right so, so what kind of cases are those like i mean you know Brady and i uh we didn't see we didn't see a sex therapist but we saw a couples couples counselor, counselor yeah. and uh they, they and, overlap i mean you can't do couples sure. therapy without sex therapy you can't do yeah. sex therapy without couples therapy. of they're, course they're they flipped sides of the hand. same coin yeah and he i i mean I, I think we just got really lucky because when we found when we found him uh, he was the first person that we went to, and he was very like, "Oh, you guys are like trying polyamory, and Excellent. and um, you know, like y- you might live in different provinces and and do all these things. Cool, like I'm yep. I'm all about that. I work with a lot of sex workers, and yeah. I'm I'm open to talking about whatever you guys want to talk about. And we were like, "Oh, okay, cool. It was you know, a really it, good fit immediately. It, immediately, which, wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. But through doing this and through being on, you know." I mean, polyamory, like Facebook forums, it's like we've heard a lot of people have a hard time finding, uh, you know, a therapist that is is open to, yep. you know, that like an alternative relationship lifestyle or what have you. Yeah, anything out of the ordinary, uh, too out of the ordinary. Mm-hmm. Uh, most psychologists, well, mental health professionals <laughs> in general just have a reflexive not acceptance, whatever you say is okay. You know, everybody just has the basic empathy, you know, they're good with it, I'm good with it, you know, not breaking any law, n- nobody getting hurt. You know, there's a basic, mm-hmm. uh, basic awareness of be tolerant for anything. Uh, where it often becomes harder is a lot of couples become frustrated even with an accepting, okay, I'm fine with it, but they now find that they're educating the therapist instead mm. of the therapist, right. you know, guiding them. This is what other people have tried. This kind of thing works. This doesn't kind of work. Here's an idea that other couples have used. What do you think of trying? You know, if it's new to the therapist, you you don't get the benefit of the therapist's experience, either their own experience, their own training, or the benefit of the stories they have gotten to hear from pre- previous clients who have mm-hmm. been right. in the situation. You want to that feel that in. they're literate within the world that you're, you know, you, that you are in. Right? That you don't have to explain, oh, this is what that means, that's what that means. You know, we went out with this one, but it didn't actually mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the, uh, so that often is a, uh, uh, can be a difficulty. So having somebody either, you know, who's been through it themselves is very useful. But exactly like you said, the comfort level, number, number one, if you got that, you're, you know, a good proportion of the way through. Uh, and then the, uh, I don't know if a specialist is even a legitimate uh, term to use, but somebody who uh, uh, who has had a lot of experience with other people with similar, you know, right. whatever the couple or individual is coming in with, again, gives the... Uh, gives the client the feeling of uh, uh, of there be this isn't exactly the right word, uh, but uh, that the uh, guide actually knows this path. Sure. You know, the guide at least has been down this path, even though you know which paths you might take. Everybody has their own agenda, right? right but you're not necessarily exploring this together. At least one of you has been down here, uh, down mm. here before. Uh, what was one of the things like when you got into this? What was one of the things that? Uh, maybe sort of, maybe not surprised you, but, but, um, you know, more so, uh, excited you 
about about you know diving into and, and getting getting your hands kind of dirty. I, mm-hmm. Coming coming from the world of of focusing on on pedophilia, yep. um, which again is like such an extreme, yep. and then going into this you know it, uh, quote unquote vanilla world. Yeah, uh, was there something within that that world that that you got really really into sort of working with or trying to work out? Not at first. I think at first I probably had a reprise of the same beginner's jitters that anybody else would. Right, right. Again, after doing it, after being in the same sitcom for a lot of years, playing a new kind of character, <laughs> right, it, it's, you, you, you still get the opening night jitters. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and opening a new clinic together with other people, you know, so there, there was a yeah. lot uh, on my mind at the time, so I didn't really have the luxury to... To you know, sit and stew and think and journal about what 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 the early part was, and and in retrospect, that probably did me good because I probably would have ended up uh, overthinking. Uh, and the initial cases, I, I I think most of the difference was as I got to see my you know first initial cases, I was really enjoying the breadth of them, you know, stretching muscles that were familiar but I hadn't used on a you know daily basis quite uh, quite like this before. And the part that really kicked my whole brain into it again, again, it's once the admin uh, uh, stuff all calmed down and I could really, really get into the whole thing, was seeing, all right, what are the patterns that I'm seeing over and over again? And what are the lessons that I can take from these couples that I can now not only share with other couples coming in with related kinds of problems, but how can I share this in a broader way, a book, podcast, whatever kind of way? Because these stories aren't getting told broadly. You... You know, these are because I'm in a odd kind of seat, and couples and individuals are more comfortable telling me things that even they won't tell most other mental health professionals. I'm kind of, I'm able to say yes. I know that that you know that makes you feel strange. Oh my god, that's horrible! But you have no idea how many other people are thinking exactly the same thing. Mm. Well, that's what. I, I listened to um, Esther Perel's podcast, Where mm. Should We Begin? I don't know if you've checked it out, but it, it's it's one-off therapy sessions with couples. And oh. um, it's really – her whole approach is like the couple used to be a part of a greater community and we lived, you know – a tent wall apart from each other so you knew when someone was fighting and you knew when someone was fecking and like you knew this kind of health of the relationship or what was going on and people didn't feel as alone because they knew that their issues were issues that there lots of other people were experiencing yes. so there's something that she does really nicely with that podcast and I think it's a phenomenal idea but it makes me you know when we first went to our counselor, he was like, you know, there are three main things that people come to me for help. Couples come to me for help with uh, issues are money, sex, or someone else involved in the relationship, whether it's a, a mom or another part, a new another yep. partner or an affair or whatever it might be. And so, listening to you talk, I'm wondering: Are you underneath the details, underneath like the particular circumstances of the couple? Are the issues pretty, pretty much the same? Like, do you are you that, that conversation? Those, the only one I can't say that I'm seeing a lot of, and of course, there's a lot of you know self selection, and we also match you know clients to best therapists, so the ones with atypical sexualities are, are the ones that uh, gravitate towards me, and vice versa. 
the one the, of those situations, the one I don't hear a lot about is uh, money. Okay. It being sex, especially lack of sex, uh, uh, also comes in, and somebody else in the relationship, which might be part of the sex or part of the lack of sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are the two that I see uh, the most. Okay. Can we just jump right into lack of sex? Go nuts. Okay. What's going on there? Because the sustaining desire and long-term relationships and differences in sexual, like in libido or or levels of desire or like what help us? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and as I say, these are this is probably one of the one of the biggest things that uh, that come in, uh, biggest complaints that couples uh, come in with. Uh, there uh, there is no it. Uh, one of the worst things about diagnosis is all they're really doing when it comes to the sex diagnosis is giving a label to the symptom mm-hmm. and treating it like that's a diagnosis. No, no, no. We're just labeling the symptom. So if a couple comes in not having sex or we say asexual or lack of sexual desire, da, 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 that's not the diagnosis. That doesn't tell you what to do. You know, if we, you know, if you have a diagnosis of, you know, pick your uh, whatever virus infection, the purpose of the diagnosis is to tell you what to do. But lack of sexual desire does not tell you what to do. It's just like saying fever, headache. No, no, no. All right. What caused the fever? What caused the headache? Mm. And for that, uh, I, I'm very, very specific with couples. When I'm seeing somebody as a couple, I will only uh, – my bias is always to see them only as a couple. Sometimes it becomes apparent that one of them, you know, is – or it's even apparent to each other. One of them doesn't want sex either with the other, so maybe some individual sessions would, uh, would be okay. Yeah. My preference is to assign those individual sessions to be another therapist so the other person of the couple doesn't feel like I'm more one of their therapists than the other one. Oh, interesting. And each one doesn't have to worry about, you know, what did he or she say about me? Yeah. You know, mm. it's whatever you need to say on one-on-one. We can set that up. It's at the same clinic, so you don't have to worry about files moving and so, and so on. Consultation if we need to. I don't have to worry about which one told me this, which part am I not supposed to know? Yeah. Right. So that so that's one of the great advantages of working in a clinic with with a bunch of other people. So sometimes it comes out during the couple. <laughs> sometimes it's during one of those one-on-one sessions that somebody fesses up. Now, what that other thing could be could be absolutely anything uh, under uh, uh, under the sun, which is why I say just lack of sexual desire is not, by itself, is not useful. First, it's not always really lack of sexual desire. It's they're just not having sex together. Yeah. He's still masturbating a couple of times a day with porn. Fine. But then we find out it's gay porn. Ah, okay. Now I know, you know, basically the field we're in, I, you know, and fixing stuff between this couple is not going to be right. This is not a matter of they're fighting and they just have to feel better with each other. This is now he usually has a decision where we're going to go with this. Is that pretty common? Uh, and not nearly as common as it used to be, okay. of course. Okay. But it still happens or at least versions of it happen. These days, if somebody, if a man is gay, he pretty much knows it from the beginning. Right. Uh, the exceptions are, you know, and here in the G- uh, GTA, it's an enormous thing. We have so many uh, uh, people who come here from other cultures with very, still very strongly religious backgrounds right. that even though, you know, people who have been born and raised in Canada, you know, have some Western values about homosexuality and it's relatively no big deal, you know, that's not true among the enormous communities, you know, especially around in the suburbs. Uh, so, that, so the issue still exists, even though among, as I say, people born in, uh, uh, born in Canada and raised in Canada don't experience it that much. And sometimes, and this is the one, 
even when it's not uh, not just plain vanilla homosexuality, uh, it's some other atypical sexual interest that he can't act out with his partner. He's into, uh, for example, uh, uh, women with penises. He's mm-hmm. into trans women, close enough to women for him to get erections and, you know, especially young and newlywed phase, still to have sex together, maybe have a kid or two together. But as they get older and his sex drive, you know, starts to not be what it is in its 20s, for him to be able to perform sexually, he has to be able to see exactly what it is he wants. Close enough isn't close enough at, by middle mm. uh, when middle age kicks in. And so by then, you know, again, it's confusing for the couple. And women, you know, often know that sex decreases over the course of a relationship. And women will often blame themselves. What's wrong with me? Am I aging? Has nothing to do with her. And it's right. Whatever atypical sexual makeup he has, maybe he'll say it in therapy. Maybe he won't. Right. Uh, The other uh, common one are... uh, Uh, Oh, if there is actually something about the partner that makes one less attracted or less attracted over time and they don't want to say, they don't want to cause the breakup. Uh, Sometimes, uh, and there's something else, it's, uh, Kurt Freund called it a courtship disorder. It's a fascinating, fascinating uh, idea. Not a formal diagnosis, but people recognize themselves uh, uh, in it, especially men recognize themselves in it very, very easily. Uh, it seems, and this part is solid, humans, you know, like all other primates and mammals and, you know, back and back and back, you know, four and a half billion years, have, you know, basic, you know, mating and social instincts. We are pack animals. We arrange under alpha that that is just, that's our instinct. That That's what we do. Uh, now, the mating courtship parts of our instinct, you know, consists of, you know, find somebody else, you know, potential co-parent, somebody within reproductive age of the opposite sex goes the reproductive instinct demonstrate your readiness, look for clues of reproductive readiness, and then tactile copulation, and then stick around long enough for the eventual kid to be nursing. That's when usually they need the father to continue to, uh, to be able to provide so the, the, uh, uh, so the mother can, uh, uh, can nurse the children. That goes about five years-ish. We talk about, you know, the going cultural stories that you know, the seven-year itch, you know, men, men need to start running around. Right. It's actually about five years and it seems to be attached to this cycle of how long the reproductive cycle is to go from find appropriate reproductive partner, not just to get her pregnant, but to get the kid to where the kid no longer needs to be nursing. So now if there's going to be, you know, mix the chromosomes around in this small tribal group where everybody knows everybody, it is useful, at least the kids who have, you know, two parents providing resources are the most likely in turn to survive and produce grandchildren. Mm-hmm. But there's also an advantage to not, almost literally, putting all your eggs in the same basket, mm-hmm. you know, crossing your chromosomes with other partners just in case. There's also a streak of that in our, uh, in our uh, uh, DNA. Mm. Now, how much a person, especially men, <laughs> senses that, you know, it's like any other personal characteristic. Some have it more, some have it less. Mm. And men appear to be born with, you know, different levels of a, a, a novelty instinct. For some men, you know, just basic levels of novelty, keep it mixed up, you know, frequent sex, frequent enough sex, perfectly fine. But some men have that novelty instinct much, much stronger, and it's not – they can't be satisfied with just one – just one person or just one situation. And they tend to uh, pursue – they tend to push limits 
almost not even knowing what they're into. They just want something new, a new situation, a new person, a new stimulus. Uh, it's not even that they like each of them. It's just the newness itself is is important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, for some couples, you know, they can negotiate a way for him to get that newness and for her to get her needs met and, uh, uh, in whatever uh, way works for all of them. Uh, it works for each of them. And as I say, the couples who kind of do that are way, way more common than people realize because they don't tell their friends and they don't put that on social media. Mm. Uh, oh, and, and uh, again, on social media, especially on Facebook, where everybody, uh, uh, your comparison with people in you know, nearby tents, everybody knew what everybody else was doing. Not only do we not know what everybody else is doing because we're, we're getting a drywall. Fake, yeah, that's right. We are projecting only yeah. the good stuff. Right. Yeah. Take out the crow's feet. Only the best smile. Make sure you're mm-hmm. not drinking. Right. And you, nobody posts the we're running late. Oh, what the hell did you do? Right. So everything yeah. looks you know even better than it actually is. It's not just neutral. Mm. And so and, and so when. Uh, I'll call myself in a cross generation where we had some idea of reality and then see this, you know, Facebook kind of stuff where, yeah, 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 whatever. But for people who grew up today and this is all they see, yeah. they don't know that this is just, you know, all your friends sitting at the lunch table together just talking about the good stuff. But you save the heartbreak for the one on one just later, you and your best friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody yeah. see. Right. So people are not realizing the frequency with which that happens. So they think when it happens to them, they're alone, they're crazy. They're, it's just adding, oddly, to isolation. Yeah, interesting. Of, yeah. It, it, there's something in... Do you, do you like, take in much uh, much media? Like, do you watch te- television a lot or... We binge. Yeah. yeah you, we'll get some friend who will give us some favorite, you know, and did, then... Did you watch... Uh, do you watch Black Mirror? Yes. Did you see the latest, the first episode of the latest season? The guy. No, the guy I think we. I think we're first. The, we're through the first two seasons. We're not okay. up to date. Very like you were. You were basically describing that exact episode. Oh, the one where uh, the husband guy, dies. No, no. Oh. It, it was. It, it's. It's. So it basically, you <laughs> know, in a nutshell. Show. Spoiler alert. In a nutshell, there's a guy who receives a, a sort of VR video game for his birthday from his best buddy. Like oh, his old, yeah. old, old university friend. Yep. And, um, and so, you know, one late night, they, they, they're, they're each at their own respective homes. And, and, you know, this guy's wife's in bed, and, and he's playing games, and his buddy comes on, and he goes, hey, let's, like, let's, let's patch into the VR and, and play that old fight game we used to play. And he's like, yeah, sure. So he puts the, like, headpiece on and conks out, and he comes to in this in this new reality where he, he As is an the, avatar he's, oh, he's the right. avatar yeah. of the video game character right and and his friend is is the other character and they're like holy shit this is so wild like we're we're in this new world like so let's you know let, let's play the game so they start beating each other up well the one guy who who got the you know the game for his birthday he's playing the the male sort of uh, like karate character and then his friend is playing this uh this sort of like Babely. Very voluptuous, babely, uh, you know, fighter chick. Yeah. And in the midst of fighting each other, they just all of a sudden stop and and start fucking each other. Yeah. And they have they start to play out this relationship with one another only online. But of course, you know, he doesn't tell his wife. Yeah. And he's he he's like, "Am I gay?" And like, I don't think I'm gay because it's it's with a female. But it, like, what the fuck is going on? And it. It, you, it it reminded me so much of that episode and you just describing that exact sort of like novel yep. 
not sure what it is that I'm looking for, not sure, like, but just looking for those different... Yep, the newness itself itself. is arousing. Yeah, and being so confused by it. Yep. Right? And being so lost. Yep. The episode I thought you were going to mention was there was another one, again, (laughs) it must have been of the first two seasons, where a a man dies, woman is absolutely bereft, but there's this... Oh, she uh, gets her her boyfriend in a box, basically. Exactly, the boyfriend in the box, box, and uh, as... He comes down the stairs and he says, how do I look? And she says, well, like, like him, but but on a really good day. And his <laughs> yeah. response was, right, it was the best of the photos are what made it onto Facebook. So that was the data on which this Android That's was right. developed were his best days, his best looks, his best quotes. Uh, yeah. Right. And all the right. And all the rest of him. Right. Yeah. was just. Oh, what a heartbreaking we only see ending that, to that one, too. That, that, I, it was. Oh, man, I fucking love that show. It's so good. Very, very smart. So. I'm I'm hearing you say this, and, and there's a part of my brain that's going, but women want diversity, too. Women yes. want, like, novel. They want mystery. They want yes. intrigue and 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 the courtship and yep. all of this. So so are you are you are you able to, like, speak to that as well as as best as I can mm-hmm. now again, literally, purely clinically now. The mismatch, it, it amazes me that a lot of men and women think that they're further apart than they are, but it usually just takes a couple of sentences to just say out loud what each one usually already knows, but just give them permission to actually discuss. But some, it's become, become more and more politically incorrect to say that women are not like men mm-hmm. and they're after different things. Yeah. And so each one kind of condemns themselves for liking what is perfectly natural to them because they think they're supposed to want whatever the fashionable, politically correct thing to want is. Mm -hmm. Rather than just acknowledging, you know, there's overlap, of course. But women, and again, I'm I'm pushing the differences apart to illustrate them. uh, But women tend to navigate the, the world of relationships. Women navigate the social world. That's their bias. Men tend to navigate the physical world. It's very easy to divorce relationship and sex. Uh, where for women, there often needs to be a sense of connection. There needs to be a context. You know, the, the pure sex desire emerges from the sense of connection and uh, uh, and safety and comfort. Mm. Where men not only don't need that, sometimes the lack of comfort is itself arousing. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not all women. That's not all men. But people in couples need to be able to have that discussion in order to be able to figure out, all right, ha- now how do we get that? The common, uh, a common problem, including with a lot of therapists, and most therapists are women, a lot of women have trouble understanding men's, uh, uh, men's sexuality. In the, a lot of women have trouble understanding men's sexuality, which is often both the woman in a couple and a female therapist. And a politically correct man often feels like, I had a client say it very recently, there's something wrong with me. I keep objectifying attractive women that I see. And I'm thinking, that's what <laughs> men do. Right. No, it's one thing, you know, seeing somebody attractive on, on the street and thinking them attractive, yeah, go nuts. That's very different from how you treat them, making eye contact, you know, being professional, being appropriate. You know, your behavior is, but just finding them attractive, yeah, that's what five billion years of evolution have programmed us to do. Handle it and manage it, but you can't condemn yourself for what you're attracted to, whether you're a heterosexual or any other kind of uh, kind of mix. So for uh, 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 for a lot of these couples, it's a matter of acknowledging that what they are looking for are different things. And so when they are in a situation together, 
they're going to be in the same situation but focused on different things in that situation. Mm. Uh, for example, if, uh, 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 if they're at a swingers club. You know, from the man's point of view, very, uh, very often, ah, victory. Okay, I can go pick up somebody else, da, 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 and he's off to the races where she's kind of feeling, what, I was the entry ticket? Uh-huh. The, right, to the woman's context is, no, she very often wants to feel attractive. She needs to know that she is still number one. If there's somebody who looks like a threat or a threat to her potential comfort or somebody for whom this is more than just a one-night fling, no, she needs him on a leash and needs to know she's still in control. Mm. But once they have that discussion ahead of time, this is not exactly free reign. This is not exactly playtime. Here are the, you know... Uh, here are the here are the boundaries to our mutual comfort zone. This is when you can. Uh, I have to decide who's in and out. I decide who comes home, who does not. If I, you know, give whatever signal, come here, I'm uncomfortable. You stop whatever you're doing and come here, I'm uncomfortable. So the women get, you know, what they're looking for. You know, the sense of. Uh, meeting people and developing potential relationships, and she is in control. And he gets the, you know, now room full of novelty. Mm-hmm. And so by th- by those kinds of compromising and acknowledging that they're coming after different things and going after different things, they can get them and, of course, enjoy the, the, the overlap of them. Turn Me On will be right back after this word from our sponsors. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. So, are you finding that um, that sounds to me like the early stages of our opening mm-hmm. things up and that kind of navigating and negotiating beforehand and signals and like definitely like hard out like if I if we say this is it I'm uncomfortable it ends and like making up the rules so I'm wondering if um this situation that you're talking about is something that like when people come to you are and they they're looking for these different things or maybe they they're curious about a different relationship structure is this generally like how people start navigating that world is like do it together go to a club where you can both be in the same space where you're doing where you're experimenting this way to together because i know you talk to a lot of you you mentioned that a lot of people come to you interested in polyamory and 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 maybe a different like relationship structure so like is 
that just sounded to me that some something you might even suggest to somebody to a couple that is interested in exploring their different needs is is that like a scenario that's pretty common uh i think each one is i i hesitate uh I've seen them at each point. Some are starting with there's just a lack of sex and they haven't yet figured out. It's that, you know, they need to diversify it and this is one way to do that. You know, in a situation like that, you know, after we've explored the various options, uh, one of my first questions is always, what have you tried so far? How did it go? Right. Uh, And then can I add lists? And for some couples, clearly that's just not what they're up to of no interest to them. Okay. Uh, And sometimes uh, I will bring it up when I start, when they start hinting or I start perceiving hints that that's uh uh that they would be open to it and they just haven't yet figured out a way to have the conversation out Mm -hmm. loud Mm -hmm. right Uh, and i run into that uh i run into that in a lot of couples that uh where uh men uh, men don't actually give women their their due there are a lot of men who just kind of automatically assume oh no she would never because nobody ever talks about it but there are a lot more women who are open to making the boundaries or the traditional uh, – who do not automatically assume the traditional, very, very uh, yeah. uh, strict rules of, uh, uh, of monogamy. Mm. Uh, some of the ways where people kind of uh, uh, soften it, for example, when you're on a business trip. So no contact uh, – so I don't have to see it. I don't know about it. It's invisible to me. I don't have to worry about it being one of our friends or somebody that mm. I run into. It's yeah. not – and it's never going to be a person that uh, – uh, who's going to be a threat to our relationship because you're away. Or for some people, it's you know, just escorts or prostitutes, same reason, because they're not a threat to the relationship. For some, it's, you know, fine, but only when we're together. Mm. You know, for some, it's a you know, certain set of people. For some, it's anybody you want, but no exes. Again, because they, you know, now that feels like a potential threat. Mm. But what makes a woman feel threatened is very different from what makes a man feel threatened. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, even though we reflexively equal rights, the rules must be the same. The rules are just the boundaries of the comfort zone and the comfort zones may be different. Mm -hmm. And, of course, you know, just compromise with, uh, oh, another one of the favorite rules is uh, do what you want. Only on anniversary, birthday, and whatever, you know. Special or, occasions. It, special <laughs> occasions. Or you get two free passes a year. Use them when you want. Right. <laughs> right. And so couples find whatever works, whatever works for them. So as I say, there are more couples who do that and more women who are willing to do that. So long as the relationship is otherwise going fine, mm-hmm. yeah. there are women who are willing to compromise this part whenever the kids are fine, money is going fine, basic romance is fine. She feels like she's getting the attention and the romance she needs. It's not really costing her anything. More women are okay with that than, than uh, meets the eye. Uh, and the other one, especially in uh, uh, well, my generation uh, and older, are women who know exactly what's going on and have decided to turn a blind eye. Right. Yeah. It's uh, they either don't want the confrontation or they're afraid of the confrontation going the wrong way or just saying it out loud will make it more real. He knows. She knows. He knows. She knows. And everybody's just agreed not to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And oddly, I can't say those aren't working. Yeah. You know, they are stable if something – they are stable. They are together long term. Uh, you know, if they come into me, then I start wondering, all right, really, is it kind of working after all? Right. But they're not the ones who are coming into me. Usually I'm getting one or the other talking about whatever other issues. They acknowledge that this is the situation of the relationship, but that's not the problem. Mm. So it's kind of a – well, neither one is asking, you know. 
everybody's, you know, doing it in a way that, you know, STDs and STIs are not an issue. So, all right, what's the... Right, this is their ethical call, not mine. Yeah, right. Uh, but that happens, as I say, more often than I think people acknowledge. Yeah. I, it, we we have a very, like, engaged audience. Um, and, you know, we have we we have a lot of our listeners write into us um, and ask ask for our advice. <laughs> no, I mean, no. <laughs> they know that they're asking. They're basically asking some friends for advice because yeah. we have no fucking... Uh, qualifications. You know, qualifications yeah. to give any advice other than saying, I don't know, this is what I would do. Um, but one of the one of the questions that comes in quite often is, and I, I think it's probably due to the fact that we are polyamorous and we talk about it openly on the podcast and it's a big part of our show. Um, but the question is, I, I, I'm very interested in opening up our relationship yep. or I have a desire to open up our relationship, but I have no fucking clue how to broach this subject with my partner. And I'm wondering, like, what what would you say to someone who came to you, you know, or say a couple comes to you and there's, you know, obviously some stuff going on, but you start to realize, like, oh, this person clearly wants to open up the relationship. This person has no sweet clue that that's the case. What, like, what would you, what would you put forward to to someone like that to, as as a piece of like professional advice in terms of broaching yeah. that subject yeah, yeah. uh in any case especially in a first session kind of uh case uh what we always do is just the best we can with what we have now given a problem like that you know my next idea is all right well what do we have you know what are the strengths of this relationship you know that we could use as opportunities you know what what are the weaknesses so i have to stay away from those particular ways uh now in real life, I don't really get a lot of one is way into it and the other, you know, is absolutely clueless about it. Because the people for whom, you know, this is on the map somewhere, you know, they look for somebody else who's adventurous. You know, so it tends to be people uh, people who are highly adventurous tend not to be in long-term relationships with people who are uh, adventure-averse. You know, people, mm. you know, it, it can happen, but in general, people find somebody roughly equivalent. Uh, usually, uh, and my other usual question, uh, like I said before, what have you tried already? You know, so my first question is, all right, if you're a naturally adventurous kind of person, usually these are natural extroverts. If you're not saying it's something's gotten in your way. So either it's a, this is something you didn't want so much, you're maybe just kind of playing with the idea, fine, let's talk about that. Mm. Uh, or she is so fucking special that you don't want to risk her leaving by bringing up that topic. And, oh, you're actually considering giving up this. Da, 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 da. Are you actually thinking about you know, saying yes to her but cheating on the side, which many people do. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, that's probably a more common situation I get. Somebody already in a committed relationship and they have been unable to to uh, uh, to stay monogamous even though they want to and they're they're struggling yeah. with uh, how do I keep my promise do we change the relationship do I end the relationship because I the the, the conflict has gotten uh, uh, too much uh, too much for them uh, so as I say it really depends on you know what else is going on in that couple that has made it hard for him uh, hard for him to say. And what is it about uh, that person that, you know, either might make it easier, which might include bringing the other part, uh, the partner in to have conversations mm -hmm. uh, about it. 
And of course, what is it about the relationship that the person wants more sex for? Is it or more outside sex for? Is there something missing in the relationship which we can work on, or is it just novelty? You know, how how can we mix things together for him to get the novelty? Other ways for them to explore novelty together, which may or may not uh, include opening things up.、Mm. Uh, but I would not reflexively take a couple from zero to ten. For each one of these, and for couples who haven't done it before, they're guessing about whether or not they will like it, and、right. they're not、yeah. always right. Some try it, it works. Some try it, it doesn't work. Or some try it, and that way didn't work. Or these parts of it worked, and that part didn't. So,、uh, so I,、uh, my usual recommendation is do it in steps. You know, show up at whatever singers club,、uh, swingers club. Just stay for one drink. Stay for fifteen minutes. Don't talk to anybody. Get out and now go. You know, someplace private. Go、Debrief. for a coffee. Whatever.、Mm. Yeah. What worked? How did you feel? Did you feel you know, self-conscious? You know, what was the attractive, unattractive? People looked, didn't look. Right, and just right. Share the experience because everybody else at the club, they already know each other. Yeah. Right. They've already been hooking up in who knows whichever combinations, but to their credit. They were also newbies. They know what it's like to be a newbie. Yeah, and they know how to no 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 pressure. Just welcome, have a drink. You know, this is how it works. And you know, most communities of swingers、mm-hmm. know what it's like, and you know, are not going to be all over you. It's not you know, <laughs> it's not like you know, cute young gay boy just shows up at gay bar all of a sudden, you know, and eight <laughs> drinks in front of him. You know, all the yeah、night. yeah. Not that there's anything wrong with hey, <laughs> you know. Right, but for swingers clubs, there is a much more. The new couples are uncomfortable. Yeah, give them space, give them time, and they do need time to. Did it work? Did it not work? And sometimes the fifteen minutes turns into an hour because they are all of a sudden、mm-hmm. right. But when the setup is, this is an experiment. This is a test. You know, we are not allowed to go home with、uh, with anybody. This is an experiment. Exactly as you said, and then go home and debrief. Yeah. So it's、uh, and then how far open and or what. What shape of open might this door take?、Mm-hmm. Um, other, aside from being adventurous, are there other other qualities that、uh, poly-oriented people might like recognize and be like, I might be suited. I might actually be better suited for. Because I, I hear a lot of people because I I felt this was my experience. Oh, I, monogamy doesn't work for me because I've cheated in all of my relationships because I've always been drawn to something outside of the relationship. So I mu- I must be poly. It must be because you know I I have the capacity to to <coughs> either separate the、uh, emotional from the sexual because I love my partner and I I don't feel I don't want to hurt them, but I also don't feel like there's anything wrong with the way that I've I've felt enhanced by out my outside. Uh, uh, relationship partners, so so we have like we joke about like, are you born Polly? Like, what are what what are the commonalities? I guess between folks that are in swingers clubs. Towards- oh, it's an excellent question.、Uh, there are things that I see over and over again,、uh-huh. but you know I can't pretend that you know we don't have a representative survey, you know, and <laughs> we're not going to get one. We have you know the ones who. With the fortitude to show up at a club, or you know, running into whatever problem, so you know,、uh, show up in my office, or just send me a random email or or、uh, or message on Twitter or something.、Uh, what I see in、uh, what I see over and over again among the women is bisexual. Over and over and over again, it, it's even just a natural question that the idea of another woman is not only you know not.、Uh, 
uh, intimidating, it by itself can be arousing mm. and is a source of true novelty, you know, having, you know, the, the, the affection and attention and attractiveness of somebody other than her usual partner. Yeah. Uh, so uh, extrovertedness, uh, general enjoyment of novelty and stimulation in general uh, and bisexuality. They, those are all just a, a different sides of the same uh, of the same coin. Among the men, full, full range. Conservative, liberal, uh, bisexuality is a much tougher issue among men. There are men who will call themselves bisexual, but they're not bisexual in the everyday sense of the term or in the way that kind of does fit with a lot of women. It doesn't really work for men. Men who call themselves bi aren't just into men and into women. They're usually something into something unusual that just saying they're into men or just saying they're into women doesn't capture. Uh, for example, if they're into trans women, well... They like filleting penises, they like giving blowjobs, but they also like pounding a vagina and they like breasts. And, you know, so they will call themselves by, well, they don't have the technical term, gynandromorphophilia, you know, so it makes perfect sense that they would use the word <laughs> by. But they're not into men equally into women. They are into a combination and male and female completely unlike what most of us are into. Uh, or uh, masochists, for example, men who really like getting humiliated and are really, really into being uh, 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 being roughed up. Uh, they will, for example, have uh, fantasies and even carry out sexual fantasies about getting raped or fucked by a man. And they love those fantasies. Well, so their fantasies, you know, they're getting fucked by a guy. Well, that counts as gay to them, so they call themselves bi, even though their, fantasy, their sexual fantasies are thinking about women. Mm. Right. So I get why he's calling himself bi, but he's not. He's not into men. He's into getting humiliated. And the idea of getting fucked by a man is humiliating. Even oh. though he's actually into women, he's heterosexual. Right. So when a guy tells me he's, he's bi, yeah. okay, I have a couple of questions which will give me an idea that, okay, I believe entirely he's not a regular everyday straight cis guy, but nor is he a regular everyday bi guy. But he's not very, very rarely is he just kind of equally into men and women. Okay. Usually the word bi is just the best word he has to describe that he's into something unusual for which he, and nobody else probably, has a term. Mm -hmm. But that's very different from women's experience where women you know, can be turned on by men, can be turned on by, uh, by women. It's one or the other, sometimes a combination, but it's the whole person. And as I say, because women are... Uh, uh, are uh, very focused on uh, uh, on the relationship context, the relationship with the woman and the expectations for the future and how they feel is a big part of that. Where for men, can fuck his worst enemy if he, she, it is hot enough. It, it you know, much more easy to, to keep independent. <laughs> you just said that, and I was like, oh yeah, hell yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I know exactly what that feeling is like. Yeah, it's another yeah. one of those, right? Men and women aren't allowed to say it, but as soon as someone says it out loud, yup. Yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. That bit about uh, the fantasies, because like. We talked to a lot of people about their fantasies and and whether they've tried to actualize their fantasies and and a lot of people's experiences like oh no I don't I don't really want that I yep. just like it just turns me on oh, yeah. in my mind right and, right, right I, fantasies are are the biggest ones of those mm. yeah it's uh, 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 something that women describe over and over again uh, something common to a lot of women's fantasies especially the ones that they feel uncomfortable talking about the feeling of being overwhelmed 
Mm. And rape is just, you know, one very extreme way of just being overwhelmed. You know, the great, you know, huge, great big prince and just swept up on the whole emotional and sexual. But the idea of finding, you know, that kind of, wait a second, what does that say about consent? Uh, Right. And all of a sudden, it's a fantasy. And right now we're regulated. We're thought policing. Mm -hmm. We're now saying it's a politically incorrect fantasy. (laughs) There's no fucking such thing as a politically correct fantasy. It's just what I like, what you like. Nobody's talking about doing it. Mm -hmm. That's what makes it a fantasy. I'm sorry, you're fantasizing about somebody other than your sworn partner? Mm -hmm. Oh, give me a break. Right. This is just people have gone, you know, from... The unhealthy extreme of not acknowledging abuse and not acknowledging problems with consent and not acknowledging women's power and authority to the other extreme where we have just overshot the target. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, people – we were so extreme at one end that you – know, and so extreme at the other end that nobody can talk about the middle. And the two extremes have gone, you know, so far. They're both just falling off the edges of reality. It's as if, you know, both extremes have gotten so bizarre they have – gone around and met around the far side of planet crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just, you know, these are my emotions. You're not allowed to contest my emotions. Nope, these are my emotions and you're not allowed to contest them. I'm sorry, but here's the stack of brain scans saying, nope, sorry, you're denying my experience. Your experience is the world is flat, but here's the science. Right. right. And so this is another one, really, politically correct fantasies? Yeah. We've gone too far. Yeah, it's and so, Exactly. Uh, now, and this has, you know, become one of the conflicts between men and women because it's usually, you know, the men with uncomfortable fantasies if they say them out loud. Now, how does he tell a female therapist? Yeah. Mm. Right. And now, we, right, now we're stuck. Uh, female therapist, you know, and there's no training in this in graduate school. In clinical psychology, does very, very little sex. And even the occasional course or lecture on sex does not include, you know, atypical sexualities other than when to call the police. So, you know, women trying to guess what men's sexual nature is ain't going to work. Men, you know, again, you know, educated, intelligent people in therapy don't want to offend the therapist. And there's a lot of, I don't know if I can tell her, feel the therapist out. If the therapist isn't comfortable and actually pulling, no, 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 give it to me already. I've heard everything. Yeah. It stays unspoken and nobody deals with it. Where uh, very often it, uh, uh, all the guy often needs is, no, you were born with it. It's not going to change. Let's figure out how we can get you to express, approximate this fantasy role play, you know, in a way that is healthy and, mm-hmm. and consensual for uh, for everybody. But it starts with just acknowledging, you know, what are actual fantasies, no matter how sick they may be. They're fun to whoever it is that's talking. And it's male sex drive. Try to suppress it. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Right. Every institution, you know, from every church government official, good luck suppressing it. The best we can do is manage it and give it healthy uh, uh, healthy outlets, you know, direct them to therapy where necessary. But there's just suppress, whether it's, you know, the radical right suppress the radical right suppressing it for religious reasons or the radical left suppressing it for gender politics kinds of reasons. Mm-hmm. Both of them are going to lose. Yeah. Yeah. So you were saying before we turn on the microphone, like about um, how there isn't a ton of understanding about male sexuality in psychotherapy or in um, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no training in uh, in school. The the clients are often trying to be polite, uh, and most therapists, as I say, most therapists are female, and mm-hmm. it's a very female dominated uh, field. It's a very female dominated culture, yeah. which actually makes perfect sense. It's about you know relationships and feelings, which is you know the, a, a natural female forte. Yeah. Uh, but without explicit permission for a male client to talk about male sexuality, 
and with a female therapist without explicit training to uh, usually the number one rule for any therapist is empathy mm-hmm. you know and empathy indeed will success it will indeed help a client get through an enormous amount regardless of you know what kind of specific skill or technique a, a therapist is using but it's very difficult for somebody with one kind of a sex drive uh, and sexual makeup to empathize with the other one without the specific training and what in what that's like. We can't just use well, this is what it was like for me, yeah. and that kind of that kind of empathy, which I know what it's like to feel the full range of emotions. Females cannot naturally feel what it's like from the male point of view. That takes specific. He was into this. He was born with it. And the best that he can do is find healthy ways to manage it. Mm-hmm. But the way, way we are trained is this is the result of, you know, your relationships with other people. Let's talk about early experiences, whatever the thing was and why you developed whatever. No, no, no. That is going to be your thing, and that's your thing for life. Enjoy it. Let's find a healthy way to express it and find people who are uh, who are good matches for that. Right. But therapists aren't trained to do that. Therapists are trained to believe that this is the result of some other of some other thing, and we need to go resolve that other thing. Uh-huh. Nope. These are uh, atypical sexual interests are, as best as we can tell, like sexual orientations. All we can do is integrate them into our lives in as healthy a way as uh, as we can find. Even with even with like. Um uh, even with like kink and stuff like that, like 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 atypical kinks, depends uh, depends on the kink, uh, and people in the kink world. Some would be, you know, we would uh, I would say you no. Know, there's something uh, different in their brain, you know, when they have you know a sexual orientation level uh, uh, preference for something. Uh, 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 the strong ends of uh, S and M uh, uh, and and dominance uh, DNS relationships. Uh, those right, the far out ones, yeah, that probably would. Uh, uh, nobody's done those brain scan studies, but I would be not at all surprised if we're able to uh, to find those. Uh, the ones who are into li- a, uh, relatively light bondage, the ones who are into l- relatively rough sex, I wouldn't be surprised if there's something in the brain. I wouldn't be surprised if that's more like personal taste, you know, blondes versus mm. brunettes. Mm. Uh, uh, it's easy for me to imagine that that's just another expression of trying to feel overwhelmed. Mm. Uh, 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 for example, a gay male bottom, you know, somebody who likes being fucked, same thing, j- just likes the feeling of being overwhelmed. And in uh, gay couples, they do often assort top bottom according to size. Mm. Now, whether the small ones just, you know, get picked up more because they're smaller so they make better bottoms or vice versa, the top, uh, the, the larger ones are more likely to be invited as tops because it's easy to have the fantasy about getting overwhelmed. Mm. Yeah. So the tied up, the gangbangs, the, you know, want to be a cum dump, I, I, I don't know if those are uh, uh, a fetish level, some atypical sexuality unto itself or is that just, you know, taking regular, do I say vanilla sex, and turning it up to 10? Right. You know, is that just, you know, more an overwhelming level, but the basic interest pattern is just like everybody else or just mm. like any other gay bottoms? Hmm. That, that uh, uh, I would believe either one of those. But the severe kinks. Uh, right. Uh, you know, the, the ones into, you know, breath play. Yeah. Uh, exactly. The, the, the far, far out ones, uh, my guess would be that we'll, uh, sooner or later, there'll be evidence of that in the brain. Wow. We are, Brian, I don't know if you're keeping an eye on time there, but no. we are coming up to time. Oh, it's 1030. Okay. Um, I, I mean, <laughs> I can tell you're like, fuck, I got so much I want to <laughs> There's talk about. always more. Yeah, there's always there's more. always more. When are you coming back to Toronto? Oh, no, not soon enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I have so many questions. I, I, 
maybe we could just I, I can't help but feel like for um, our listeners we've we've been talking about a lot men and women and I know that a lot of people who listen to us or we have a bit of a responsibility to our listeners to like also to be as inclusive as possible and we have people that um, are identify as like non-binary and uh, or or maybe they're transitioning or all of the the people that don't categorize or fall how can we apply basically what you're saying and this information that you're sharing to to the to to the to folks who don't feel like I'm a woman or I am a man mm. I hesitate to try to come up with a cross cutting with a cross-cutting piece of advice because there is such a diversity of what puts these people together and the different motivations that bring them to it. And not everybody, even though they're asking for the same thing, uh, I'm thinking specifically into my head, for example, male-to-female transsexuals. Different things can motivate a bio-male to want to live as female. And, you know, how successful that is and, you know, the expectations for the future depends on what's motivating that uh, that person. So even though the desire may look exactly the same to us on the outside, what's going on inside that person's head really is very important. Uh, there are people who... Uh, 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 who are uh, sexually atypical or identify or claim to be sexually atypical because it's genuine and that is the perfectly natural thing to them, there are other people who adopt labels for unhealthy reasons. Uh, so, there, uh, for example, there are people who like being different just for the sake of being different and say that they don't fit just because they like saying <laughs> that the person in charge is wrong. Mm. So, uh, just, uh, so, I do, uh, so for me, all bets are always off. I mean, that's what the client, that's what the person is telling me. I don't, you know, automatically dismiss it either. But there have been enough situations where what's going on in front of me is not actually what's going on in front of me that I don't automatically take it at uh, at face value either. Uh, But for the people who uh, uh, are on various paths trying to look for where they want to fit in in society, I guess actually I have two pieces of advice. Uh, One is... uh, uh, experimenting. Uh, a lot of people want all or nothing all at once, and they want to have absolutely everything now. They want uh, every piece available to transition and overnight to be whatever it is that in their head the fantasized version of them or that their life will be. Uh, no, that those always and always and always, the reality rarely matches up to our fantasy uh, of it. So those, I, I, I reflexively experiment. One step at a time, see how it works. See if it actually is the way you want. See if people do actually treat you the way that you're hoping that uh, that they treat you. Uh, so some uh, there are some people who just kind of uh, keep it piped, uh, bottled in, bottled in, bottled in, and now, whatever, midlife crisis, some event happens or all of a sudden they have the money for it and they want to change everything and change it now. Those cases tend not to go well. A piece of advice I give everybody, you know, trans spectrum, anywhere in the LGB, sex, gender, diverse spectrum, uh, anywhere. A piece of wisdom I've run into is that the secret to happiness is not having everything you want, which is what everybody's going for. It's having just a little bit more than yesterday. Mm. 
It's the feeling of improvement. It's mm. the feeling that things are getting better. It's the feeling of there's something new now to enjoy. That, you know, things are, you know, the, the sense of optimism is going to be a little bit better again tomorrow. And that expectation as I just need to be patient and things will continue to improve. That makes someone happy. Winning the lottery and can do everything you want, they divorce. They're not happy. It's the not mm. having everything you want. It's the, right, it's the path you feel like you're, are, uh, you're on. So the people who want everything, they want everything now. They want to demand everything overnight. Ah, that, no, that, that, that's not try. You're not sure how you're going to react. See how you work. And actually the process of change that every day, oh, calling you by a new name or what you look in the mirror or you, whatever changed the person, the losing of weight, one pound at a time, whatever it is, those are the things that make people, that help people discover what they're, what their comfort zone is. As we were saying earlier, because uh, all everybody sees is the extremes and all everybody sees is the good parts of whatever transition they're going, but none of the bad parts of Mm. whatever transition they're undergoing, especially now when we're talking teens, Mm. right, people are getting an unrealistic view of what's going to happen. So this isn't stop. This isn't, you know, don't do it. This is right. The uh, uh, oh, who is it? Churchill, I think. The only usable parts of the road are in the middle. The extremes, both left and right, are in the gutters. Hmm. Right. So it's just yank it back, regardless of what issue we're talking about. The extremes are not helping anyone, including people who are gen- uh, gender diverse. And unfortunately, that the gender diverse community seem to be at the uh, at the forefront of of a lot of uh, social media uh, over the topness. Right. Thank you. My pleasure. Man, uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. It's it, uh, honestly, it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite, uh, Thank you. one of my favorite guests just to sit Delight. down and, and hear you talk. So, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll definitely have to do this again. And, uh, and congrats on, you know, on everything that's new and, and, and keep doing what you're doing because, um, you. you, you, we're big fans. It's exciting. And uh, me of you too. Yeah. And thanks keep a it lot. up to be able to translate information like this to the public is, is rare and valuable. Mm hmm. Uh, well, thank you all so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we'll be back next week, as we always are, with another fantastic episode. Uh, hard to top this, but who knows? We'll see. Um, <laughs> We're going to try to keep improving one day at a time. That's right. One baby, episode at a time. Baby steps. Uh, and uh, hey, if you want to support the podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, hit the subscribe button, and leave a rating and a review. Um, and uh, for sure, take a second, head on over to patreon.com slash on. And uh, just check out what's going on over there. Just look at the perks. I mean, honestly, one of the big reasons why we're here talking to uh, Dr. Cantor is because our patrons have kind of helped us be able to afford to do this. So so thank you all so much for your support. And if you want to support, um, head on over there and, and give it up. Yeah. And you can also visit us on Instagram. We have a lovely gallery of beautiful bums, and you can submit your uh, your bum too if you want to come be on our gallery. And you can reach out to us if you want to be a guest on the show. Turn me on podcast at gmail.com or visit our website, turn me on podcast.com. That is it for this week. It sure is. Until next, next week, week go, go for it. <laughs>
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.